This show is brought to you by Drift Outfitters in Toronto at 199 Queen Street East. Drift is remaining open during these difficult times, but with a new way of getting you your fly fishing goods without allowing customers into the shop. Call the guys at the shop to place an order for drive through pickup or visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to order products and take advantage of free shipping across Canada on orders over 100 bucks. Why not help them out during this difficult time for small businesses? Give them a shout out on Instagram. Got a great photo to share? Tag at Drift Outfitters. Also, you can tag your fly tying picks with hashtag self-isolation to show your friends and your followers how you're spending your downtime. Giving Drift more exposure and love right now is one way we can help keep them going. These are tough times, and we must find a way to continue supporting our community store. Visit driftoutfitters.com for more information. Welcome to another episode of So Fly. It's uh, March 21st. We're uh, we're still all tucked away in our apartments um, as the uh, coronavirus takes a hold of the city. Uh, my name is Mitch. We've got Aldo. Hello. We've got Yilma. Hey, everyone. And we've got a very special guest on the show today. Um, a very a guest we've been trying to get on the show for a while now. We're very excited to talk to him. Um, the last time we spoke was up in Timmins in northern Ontario. Uh, we've got Colin McEwen from the new Fly Fisher on the show. Colin, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. Like you, uh, uh, enjoying isolation. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Where are you calling from? So I live just outside of Ottawa. Right on. Nice day today, though. You said when we called, you were outside doing a little bit of yard work. Yes, unlike uh, other parts of Ontario, uh, up here we still have snow. I've got about three feet of snow on my lawn and about six feet on my back, but... I'm out taking down Christmas decorations finally because I can get get them out of the ice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Jeez, that's a lot of snow, man. There's nothing in here in Toronto. It's completely spring is kind of starting to fall. Spring has sprung, Colin. Yeah. Well, I think what well, we'll the do... good news is the rivers are opening and the lakes are starting to open here too. So that's uh, good. trout season's not far away. Yeah, it's just around the corner now. I can't wait to to get back on the water. Um, so maybe what we'll do is we'll jump into, uh, talk a little bit about sort of the history of how you got into fly fishing and, and how it all began. And then we'll, uh, I mean, I think today we definitely want to talk about the new fly fisher. It's a, it's a show that I think many of us have watched for years and, and cherished. It's, uh, definitely a staple in Ontario. I know that, um, everybody knows the new fly fisher and, uh, it's, uh, definitely part of the Saturday morning uh, tradition for a lot of us. So we'll talk about that for sure. But why don't we start by just you telling us how you got into fly fishing at all and kind of when it all began. Okay, um, I guess the, the best way to tell you, I've, I've been an angler my whole life, and, and like a lot of people, I uh, was a spin fisher, was, used to learn, I learned to fish up in Georgian Bay at my parents' cottage and fell in love with catching fish, and of course nobody in my family fished, they're all golfers, so it was a constant battle to get my father to take me fishing, or uncles or other people, and then how I got into fly fishing was that when I was in the Navy uh, in the early 90s, I used to go fishing with some guys in the Navy, but you know, I was living in Nova Scotia at the time. But they kept telling me about fly fishing. And I used to go, oh, I don't want to try that. That's for those big, long, you know, whippy sticks and looks too complicated. And then I got deployed on a mission overseas, and uh, it, was a, it was a tough mission. I came back with a little post-traumatic stress, which at that time wasn't really defined. But uh, some of my comrades realized I was a little screwed up so 
they pushed me to go fly fishing, and this time I said yes, and they took me to a small stream in, uh, just outside of Halifax, and we caught little brook trout, and it was such a beautiful environment, and I realized it wasn't about just the fish, it was the whole serenity thing, and that's how I got hooked on fly fishing. And from there in, I just tried to learn as much as I could all through the 90s. And, and of course, I had that terrible thing uh, happen where I went to the Marguerite River, and the first time I went Atlantic salmon fishing, I caught one. So that <laughs> meant it had to be easy, and uh, <laughs> I was hooked on Atlantic salmon. But anyways, that's how I got into fly fishing. And all through the 90s, what I kept discovering was how hard it was to find good information, find books, find videos, and on t- especially on television, there wasn't really any fly fishing shows. Mm-hmm. So that kind of was, at the time, I was getting ready to retire because I was up getting to my 20-year mark, and I thought, what am I going to do for my next career? And that was the genesis of thinking about making a TV show. Man, that's, that's amazing. So like, you got into fly fishing, really. It was a form of almost like therapy in a way. It was, I, and by coincidence, when I was on this mission in Cambodia, I was there for the withdrawal of the Vietnamese army out of Cambodia um, after the ceasefire. Uh, wow. A friend sent me the book, The River Why. Oh, yeah. And its, and its theme was, of course, fly fishing, and then once I read that, they sent me uh, a couple of uh, Harry Middleton's books, uh, including uh, River Runs Through It. And, before I even got home, I was like, okay, i got to try fly fishing now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But definitely, it was therapy. And the fir- and your first fish on the fly was actually a brookie. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, there's a lot of brook trout streams, small brook trout streams uh, around Halifax. And uh, so, yeah, they, they're pretty fortunate they have that type of fishery there. Jeez, yeah, it's amazing. It's such a good first fish to catch. Um, so I guess that was your first fly fishing trip, too. It would have been out east. Yes. Um, so, okay. So then you, you, okay. So you flash fast forward, you got into, um, fly fishing in a big way and decided that your next career move is going to be the new fly fisher. So like, how did you, how did you start? How did you go about that? Like, did you know anything about production and like starting TV shows? I knew absolutely zero. (laughs) I started at square root of zero. Wow. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Probably kind of like you guys with what you're doing right now. So I had a very steep learning curve. And uh, like I said, I was living in Halifax at the time, yep. and this would be 1998. And um, another big emergency at the time was the Y2K. Right. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard about that. Everybody thought all the computers <laughs> were going to shut down and planes were going to fall to the sky. So um, down in Halifax, yep. they had no courses about television. And my wife was very supportive. Uh, my kids, my first child had already been born. And, and, I, and I asked to be moved up to Ottawa because I found out at Algonquin College, there was a one-year crash course on how to be a television producer. Okay. So I got transferred under the Y2K and, and worked in that project office during that year. But when I was there in 99 and in 2000, I took this course part-time. And uh, that's how I got my very base foundation of understanding television, which, of course, like all courses, as we know, you take at university or college, they really are the fundamentals because usually you go out the door and within six months to a year, you realize 80% of what you learned is old and not up to date. <laughs> and, you you know, everything's changed. But uh, like I said, the learning curve was steep. But we, 
the good news is before I finished the course, Outdoor Life Network, I sent them a proposal for the new fly fisher, and they accepted it. And uh, I started shooting the show. I graduated in May. I started shooting the show in June. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. So it was like you went from that, that course to pitching OLN and getting a show in the works. And of note, the show went to air March 2000. So th- this month is oh. the 20th anniversary of the show. Oh, oh no Congratulations. Way. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. 20 years on the air. That's so good. Um, Congrats, Colin. How, do you remember that pitch to OLN? Like, did, was it just kind of like uh, you sent a proposal through and they called you back? Or did you guys have a couple meetings? How'd that go? Um, at that time, they would not see you. Most right. networks wouldn't because they would have every producer at the door. And, and at that time, uh, I didn't know anybody in the business. And I just took the advice of another television producer that told me that when you send a proposal and you try to make it stand out. And so my wife's very creative. And uh, I obviously had a four or five page write up about what the show would be in the theme. And I had a, uh, a demo reel that I'd shot on a local lake here in Ottawa and a river showing the structure, the educational structure. Yeah. And uh, we put it in a basket with a whole bunch of bottles of wine with fish on them <laughs> and uh, caviar and all types of goodies. But the whole thing was in a big gift basket yeah. with a fish theme. Yeah. And that's what I sent to the woman who was the vice president of production at that time. That's awesome. That's such a good way to get in the door there. That's funny. Well, at least I wouldn't be thrown in the pile right away. Yeah, And about two weeks after I sent that to her, I got a phone call to have a meeting, phone meeting to discuss it. Cool. And that was how it got started. That's amazing. And then from there, so did you, did you bring hosts on right away or who was basically, who was on camera? Like, how did you decide the format right off the top? Uh, well, I, well, let me, before I do that, let me just say yeah. the, the theme of the show, yeah. obviously fly fishing, but the educational theme, I like to tell you is my brilliant flash, but all through the 80s and 90s when I watched fishing TV shows, and there was a ton of them at that time, the one show that always impressed me because of its educational theme mm-hmm. was In Fisherman. Okay. Oh, right I liked on. what the lenders yeah. did, and yeah. even now they continued that. And I actually had the great fortune of meeting Al Linder uh, many years oh. later and, and chatting with him and thanking him for what he started all those years ago back in the, uh, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But his whole theme of teaching Yes, here we are in this place in northern Ontario fishing for smallmouth bass, but he taught you what they're doing, how they're doing it, the equipment they're using, and that's what bothered me about 90% of the fishing shows out there. They wouldn't teach you. didn't yeah. matter if it was spin fishing or fly fishing. It, was, it seemed like every show was trying to sell me something. Yeah. And I was looking for, I, I thought, especially fly fishers, because we always want information. We're always wanting to be educated. Sure, we want a little bit of entertainment. We want to see some fish porn. But we want to learn. Mm-hmm. So that's how I structured my pitch. Okay. So um, I kind of lost what you asked me there. Uh, but, you know, no, I'll yeah, just no. say that I did 13 episodes and I, the host was me. Yeah. Okay. So you started and it was All you. Right. And I was still in the military, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. So you oh, were, wow. how were you structuring, yeah. like, your life and the production around the military work? Uh, like on the weekends really kind of thing? Yeah, imagine so. Weekends and evenings, kind of like you guys probably. Jeez, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I, I had to still, I had a few more years left uh, before I was retiring, yeah. and I did it part-time. I did the first two seasons part-time. Wow. 
Jeez, that's crazy. I think that that's really like so. I guess it was it was really born from this need for education because like yeah, like you say, I remember all those like watching those shows too, and it's it's it is Fishborn, and then just like brought to you by, and then like ten sponsors and logos all over the boats and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like how do I do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But I yeah, should tell you very, something very that um, I didn't realize till I got more into the business is that back then, and it hasn't changed today. Yeah the way the television networks were running in Canada and especially in the United States is that they were charging the producers to put their shows on the air. So the producers have to go out there and get sponsors to pay for that time. Oh, no way. So it's pay to play kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So a lot of people think that the networks are handing you money. They only did that in a small number of shows and they had to have a certain theme. Yeah. And usually you had to help them pre-sell the show. So mm. when you see a show that's full of advertising, one of the reasons they're doing it, the poor producers trying to pay for the airtime right trying to actually buy the slot so it gets to be a bit of a dilemma right you got to trade one thing to get the other yeah 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 so is that i guess then where all the revenue comes from and like in terms of like actually like paying yourself too like is it all just sponsorship and how does like how does a fishing show make money i guess well it, it's really evolved from then to now so back then how you had to do it and i, I will tell you I, the fishing show didn't make any money for five years, yeah. over five years. Yeah. It lost money every year. Right. I don't know how my wife put up with my passion, but <laughs> she did. She <laughs> loves you. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad it worked out. But, uh, so how you have to do it is you go out there, like you said, and you get sponsorships. You try to work out agreements with networks to let you be on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course there's lots of people who've got fishing show ideas and hunting shows and especially hunting shows. There's like, a billion hunting shows, yeah. but it's trying to get those sponsors to help you pay for production, pay your team. Cause, uh, as much as cameramen might be fly fishermen, you can't pay them with fly rods and they can't pay the mortgage. Yeah. So you've yeah. got to pay them. You've got to get cash. And that's the real tough part is getting sponsors. I'm talking 20 years ago when you were just a little sliver of the television universe. Yeah. Today it's even more difficult because television is shrinking and online's more important than that, but then you have to be discovered right. in the yeah. online world, and that is tough to do too. Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line is you have to have supporters. You have to find those supporters, whether it could be a boat company, a truck company, travel company, whatever it is, that are willing to fund you because you're going to help bring them to light and help them make sales. That's your typical fishing show. We're I, I run our production a little bit different. Right, right, right. Okay, so but it's sponsorship is basically the key. And how, what do you think the key to like? What's the secret to getting sponsorship? Like, what do you think the? How do you get that stuff? Like, what what do you have to do to get it? Besides, I guess hard work and determination. Like, is there is there kind of like um, a secret formula to it? I sure wish there was. <laughs> you just, I, I think you just spelled it you out. See my it, it is, well, it, it's dedication and application and, and just not giving up. Yeah. I just saw an interview with Lady Gaga and she talks about how she was playing every dumpy club and you name it and went through yeah. like three or four different versions of who she was on stage before she found the one that clicked. Yeah. And she almost gave up. She said multiple times, but she always had a, I got to do this. Well, I will tell you, I mean, obviously you, everyone needs the lucky breaks and opportunities and I certainly got them, but, uh, it took a long time. You have to earn that audience yeah. and, be, you know, 
and I'm still doing it. I mean, we're still growing and we're still trying to build our audience yeah. because it's hard to get found. But once you get that audience and if you're providing them with what they like, yeah. they stay with you. You have a loyal following. So, it, it, you know, it doesn't feel like 20 years, even though it was 20 years, just because it, it, I've never stopped trying to earn uh, those viewers yeah. that follow our show. Right. Yeah. What, Colin, like, uh, what was your little lady? I mean, I know the education angle is definitely what you guys do, and you do a great job with that. But what, what could you say maybe was your Lady Gaga moment where you really, you know, hit your stride and felt comfortable producing great content? Um, I, I would say it was probably when I realized that I didn't worry as much about trying to get non-endemic sponsors for the show focus on making a documentary series where we're telling a story every episode of a destination, the people who are there, and how to fish there. So it's kind of, let me, one thing I should have explained right off the top, because people ask me all the time, why is it called a new fly fisher? Yeah. The basic premise is it doesn't matter how good an angler you are, every time you go somewhere new, it's, you may have the basic principles of how to nymph, but every place is its small nuances mm -hmm. that you need to mm -hmm. learn to, to be able to adapt to catch those brown trout or to catch smallmouth bass in this particular place. And, and that's why I was trying to, and I still do, try to have the guides do a lot of the instruction because they're the experts. They know why the brook trout are where they are or why, on, like we've got a show that's airing today on YouTube that's shot in Montana in the Missouri River, and I thought I was a pretty good nymph fisherman. And I went out with this guy who just absolutely took apart everything I was doing on the river. Oh, yeah. Because on the Missouri River, they fish it very different. And they, they do really long drifts with their strike indicator rigs. And that's something I was taught you didn't do. But right. I wasn't doing it right. So I guess that's the point, is that when I got to that mark and just realized I needed to put all my efforts into um, getting support from tourism, to, and they recognized that I was helping because everywhere we went, phones rang and we were putting heads on beds. Right. So suddenly I became the darling of tourism across right. Canada and now in the States. So that helped us to fund the show. We were able to stay with our formula. Not to, I didn't have to have truck advertisements and mm -hmm. all those other things in the show. That was my early years now. I mean, it's, as you see, it's, the only promotion is the operator or the region. Right, right, right. Tourism or the actual lodges themselves, outfitters. And I still get people that make comments and say, oh, you're just promoting the Catskill Mountains. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. has <laughs> to come here. Yeah, you know? There's amazing fishing there, yeah. I know, but there's no, there's no other advertising. You know, and Orvis supports us, and they've been an absolutely fantastic supporter, but they never asked me to hold up a fly rod and say, you know, I wouldn't have caught that brown trout without my XYZ fly rod. Right, right. Yeah. They just want us to use their tools and wear their gear, and they say that that works just equally as well. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, it's good. Like, yeah. uh, as soon as you get, like, actual <coughs> messages in, it compromises the, you know, integrity of the show. So it's great that Orvis is uh, is that kind of supporter. And, and yeah, Catskills and supporting regions is a huge thing, obviously. Um, I definitely want to talk more about regions, especially, like, Northern Ontario. But um, first, I just want to know, uh, how did you and Bill Spicer meet? Uh, that's his wife, Kathy, who did that. So 
what happened was in 2003, yep. uh, something I didn't mention is that Outdoor Life Network, I got to know the, the, the woman who was running the network very well. And this was in my third season, and she I just left the military, and she knew that. Mm-hmm. And they had a military series that was running, uh, that was doing really well, and she asked me if uh, I knew if I knew anything about the military and did, could I make a, a military show? She was interested in, in having somebody produce one. And I said, sure. Oh. So I gave her a proposal and that became Truth, Duty, Valor. Right. Which I produced for five years. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But because I was doing the military show and at the same time, I also got on PBS in 2003. And that was my big breakthrough, by the way. PBS. When I got, you were talking about PBS. opportunities. When I got on PBS in the States, and I only started, I think I had three, 33 stations, and I went to 70. We're on 128 stations across the U.S. now. Wow. So well. 6 million households. Jeez. So when we got on public television, that was our big break. But going with that, though, I had to go to 26 shows. So I suddenly had to double oh, man. the number of shows I was making every year. So I was looking for a host, and Bill Spicer's wife, who was working at the time uh, at a fly shop downtown, Toronto, Wilson's, yeah. contacted oh. me and said, you should have my husband on your show. And so I took Bill and we shot a show um, just outside of Toronto, up on the Ganny. Oh, nice. Oh, show. nice. And I was so impressed with him, I hired him to be a host. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's great. That's funny. Just took him right out to the river and, and, yeah. and there we go. Bill, well, Bill he, is... He, he knew... He's, well, you guys all know Bill and he's such yep. a soft-spoken soul... He's a master caster, yep. and he, he, he genuinely has fun on camera, which is a big ingredient because if he's laughing and he's making fun of himself when he loses a fish, all this stuff, that stuff, that goes right to the viewer. Yeah. And right. somebody at home smile, right? It's absolutely entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, shoot that episode you did with Drift. I was on that shoot with Bill and Rob, and yeah, Bill's great. <laughs> we were having a we were having a great time on the water. It was fun. So uh, that's how I got Bill, and then later Brian Chan and Phil Rowley joined, yeah, uh, and started doing my still water stuff because obviously a big following for that in Western Canada and Western USA. Yeah, and then I had a few other hosts through the years, and and now I'm fortunate enough because I had Mark Melnick, who I knew. When he worked at OLN, he used to run all the rodeo stuff there, and then he went over to WFN when it started because he was a passionate angler and started doing shows for it, for them. And now he's my partner. Oh, that's awesome. And, it, and Yeah. So I'm very fortunate to have Mark. Him and I work together, and he's hosting, and I'm staying home and doing more producing stuff and, and other things. So uh, it's kind of worked very – it's worked really well. But, I mean, Bill's been with the show for 18 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey. Wow, geez. A long time. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, like you said, your dedication sticking to it, it's paying off because it seems like, um, you know, the new fly fisher, people are, more people are talking about it. It's, it's a huge part of the community. You guys have a bigger online presence now, I think, which is awesome. Um, do you, so one thing I want to talk about before we get into like destinations and stuff, do you have a favorite episode from the 20 years? Oh, that's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, have, you guys have gone to so many places. I mean, you know something. It's kind of like somebody asked me, "What's my favorite species?" Yeah. Um, it's really. I just, if anything, because I've been able to fish so many different places and fish different types of rivers, lakes, oceans, and stuff. 
they're all different. They're all unique. I mean, I'm a hardcore Atlantic salmon guy, but boy, I sure love catching Great Lakes steelhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same guy that will tell you I love catching massive pike on topwater flies, but I also love catching smallmouth bass with poppers. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're all special and unique, and I love them. So if I could say uh, I don't have an answer for that, and I don't have an answer for which one is my favorite episode, there's just so many memories. Yeah. And um, because of this uh, whole virus thing, yeah. one of the things I decided to do this past week, we're actually going to start uploading all our old shows, including the standard definition ones from those first four years, yeah. and nice. putting them up in our YouTube channel just so people can watch. Because you know something, even though they're old, they're like, I love Lucy or Gilligan's <laughs> Island or name an old show. If the, if the story's good yeah. and the educational stuff's there, and even though it's standard deaf, people will still enjoy watching it. Yeah, totally. Oh, I know yeah, I sure. will, for sure. It's also cool to see where, how things evolve, I think, even like, yeah, just to see where fly fishing has come in the last 20 years. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting, too. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely. a very good point, because there's some things that are talked about in some of those early shows that people don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like the way people nymph fish or here's a better example back when I first started the show wet fly fishing was still very popular and nobody wet fly fishes now yeah and it's still starting to see a resurgence yeah, yeah. super effective yeah. super effective yeah. yeah um Colin you might not have a favorite show but is it, was there a particularly difficult shoot that maybe stands out to you like we for example we were up in the Tomogamy region last year, trying to bag a an aurora trout, and it just didn't happen for us. Um, is there something like that that may have happened? One that you're like, man, we went to Algoma once, and it rained nonstop or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you do 26 shows a year, and they're all over the place, all over the United States and Canada, uh, we can be guaranteed we're going to have two or three problem child shows where things didn't work out. And it's usually 90% of the time it's weather. Right. So things don't work out. My worst season I ever had, I had nine shows that I had to go back and shoot again. Wow. Or we just had to give up on them and go shoot another show somewhere else. And it was because of weather? Yeah. And, 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 you know, like examples could be you arrive, uh, a good example would be the Farmington River in Connecticut. There I am with George Daniel and Tom Rosenbauer to do a Euro nymphing show. I'm so excited. It's October. Uh, the Farmington's got a really healthy population of trout because it's stocked, but it's a great fishery. And we get biblical rainfall the Jesus. night we arrive. Jesus. And the water goes up a foot and a half. Man. We still got the show. Yeah. We had to work our fannies off. Right. And George Daniel showed us how Euro nymphing works, and he was able to catch some trout, but it was really difficult four days. Yeah. To get enough fish. And we got tons of good instruction, but yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta really be persistent sometimes. And it could be Atlantic salmon, smallmouth bass. I mean, think about smallmouth bass and you gents have all fished for them. When they go in a funk, man, oh man, <laughs> it's <laughs> hard to get them to eat. Oh yeah. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you gotta really work. Sometimes it doesn't work out. So if and it... Aurora trout, you guys really, that was, that's a really tough one to catch. Oh yeah. yeah. It was tough. It was tough. I mean, we just went up there too. like, you know, we did some research and stuff, but it's the first time we had fished them, right? So it was just kind of like, uh, let's see how we do kind of thing. But um, yeah, if you, so you go out, do a shoot, the weather complicates things. You don't catch any fish. You say you go and you reshoot those things. Like you re actually reshoot the spot or. We'll go back 
if the opportunity offers itself, we'll try to get back there yeah. because I'm letting down the operator. Yeah. Because the operator's mm-hmm. given his time, his services, his guides. I want to. I want to be. I want to be successful for him. Yeah. And yeah. and we. And I should tell you that in the early time years when I did the show, and I didn't have the budgets. Um, we had shows where we didn't catch any big fish. Yeah. And it's not that you have to catch big fish, but just we didn't get fish. Right. So I did right. a show in the Miramichi, and I hooked one salmon and lost before the cameraman could even get on the on the fish, oh. in a whole week. Yeah. But I did the show. And I got more positive emails from that when it went on the air in OLN 2002 because people went, thanks for showing it the way it really is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so I don't mind telling it. you, we show that in some of these episodes. Yeah. Hey, and it could be the first two segments of a three-segment show with the commercial breaks. It's a struggle. Yeah. But then you like to show that success in the third segment of we figured it out or the weather gave us a break. But a lot of times it's we figure it out. Yeah, eventually you figure it out. We find out where the fish are, what the presentation is, what the fly is, and we start having success. might not be a lot, but we figure out in very tough conditions, and cold fronts are the worst, right? Or yeah. on rivers, you know, either too low water or too high water. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it's all about, right? Fly fishing in general, it's like figuring it out and... When you're making a show and you got operators and things like that, yeah, the pressure is on, so you work really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and you gotta. And, and if one thing I could say that I've learned is when I'm at a lodge, Sam in Northern Ontario is a good example. Yeah. And I remember I took my daughter to uh, Lodge 88, mm-hmm. and it's on uh, a great um, watershed for pike and walleye, a snoggy uh, watershed, and. We're there right after ice out. It should have been perfect conditions for shallow water pike, right? They've just spawned. The females are still hanging around. The males are there. Perfect time to do some top water. You couldn't find a pike because it snowed. The temperature dropped 15 degrees, and it was, like, freezing cold. Pike all went deep, and but I was listening to the guests at the lodge who were walleye fishing, and they were getting pike in 25 15 to 25 feet of water on jigs with minnows. Jeez. So we switched and went to full sinking lines and to black leeches and started doing slow retrieves on the drop-offs, and we we got the show. Nice. That's where they were. Wow. Nice. That's cool. See, I love that's what I love about the show is that it's, it is teaching. Like, it's not just like, a, oh, look, pike in their usual place on the usual streamers and stuff. It's like figuring out, overcoming adversity, figuring out how to even fish – fly fish like the in a way that's different to get the fish and make you know because that's oftentimes when you're on the water stuff doesn't go right or you get to a place that's not the right season or like you know it's like people say the show is good because it's not it's real that's what real fishing life is like well thank you i appreciate you saying that because that's as bill likes to say in a lot of episodes that versatility and you have to be versatile Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world. I mean, you could be on a remote lake that's never been fished in Labrador, and it doesn't matter if the fish have changed the game. You've got to f- change your game in order to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, well, there's one destination that uh, you guys went to. You did, um, and we, we actually we share the same destination. It's a place that we we talked about a lot with uh, with our listeners and also with you when we saw you up in Timmins, but it was um, the Atawapiskat River. 
Um, and that episode we watched before going up because um, you're just crushing pike on top water. And it was also the same time you went up to the Sutton River, right? It was a, kind of a dual trip with Hearst Air. Yeah. Yeah, that's with Melanie and Hearst Air, yeah. So maybe we talk a little bit about the Sutton River because that's a place that um, I, we watched as well. I'm like, geez, man, like those brookies hitting those mice on, you know, topwater mice patterns. It was like pretty unbelievable to see. Um, mm-hmm. How was that trip? Like, was it, was it just you that went up with your crew um, alone with, uh, with yeah, Hearst Yeah, it was. So to explain, um, they, they were trying to, Melanie was trying to have it that we would go in for two or three days there and then two or three days at PIM. Right to fish the auto wop scat and split the week and try and get two shows out of the one. Now, in the end, we were kind of crowded that year, so we just made it into one show, but we, that book trout fishing was surreal. Um, and in fact, I've asked Melanie, I think I shot that show like eight years ago yeah. or nine years ago, and they're so booked on that Sutton yeah. River drift. She said, I don't, I can't have you come back. I'm booked two years out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, She's, she's got that video keeps going on YouTube and people see the way it is. Yeah. I'd love to explore some of the other uh, rivers. And of course, the Otawapscat. Yeah. Um, I, what I would like to do and what they're planning to do there, according to Melanie, they're testing it this summer, is drift, drift trips yeah. in big, airy inflatables and have two people per boat fly fishing for, for giant pike. And then you can catch some water. There's so many water there. It's insane. You can catch some water yeah. for a shore lunch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine those big 40, 45-inch pike throwing topwaters into pockets yeah. on the yeah. side as you're drifting down, and they're eating on the topwater? That'd be awesome. Call, we were, we, we were topwatering walleye um, on the Attawapiskat at one point, too. Like, it was, it was wow. nuts. <laughs> I know. It's quite it's... the watershed, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That would be such oh, a cool man. trip, though, to camp and just float along the, uh, along the river. That'd be amazing. Well, once they get it proven, I'm hoping she has us up to do it because I'd love to go and do a show. Yeah. Because um, we've never done a river drift for Pike. We did right. Saskatchewan River years ago, Phil did, but that wasn't a big powerboat. This would be mm. literally just like going out for smallmouth and throwing topwaters. Yeah. And you, you saw the, the way the back bays work there and all that. Yeah. I mean, there's, everywhere there's a bit of slack water or an edge, there's a Pike sitting there. Oh, yeah. A big Pike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just ready. Yeah, big Pike. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. So when was the, I guess, Northern, like Northern Ontario, I mean, when we went up to the Attawapiskat flying in, it was like Northern Ontario, the, the landscape and just the wilderness is so different from Southern Ontario, Eastern Ontario. What were, what were you, when was the first kind of time you went up to Northern Ontario? Was it pretty recent after you moved to uh, just outside of Ottawa? Um, I used to work uh, when I was a kid for yeah. M&R. I worked up in Hearst. For a summer, oh no! I tried a little bit with oh, nice. Danny, but not really. No, I, it was really when I started shooting the show up there. And I think the first place I went to was Nipigon River, believe it or not. Oh wow! Uh, I did yeah. a show with Scott Smith. Yeah, that one. He went... had just written the book Fly Fishing Ontario. Okay. And uh, he invited me up, and so I went up there, and we did a show on brook trout. And in fact, we really did poorly. Because yeah. uh, that was 2000, 2001, and they were having tremendous heat waves at that time. Oh, man. And the brook trout, you just couldn't get them to eat. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenging but, fishery anyways, too, right? Like that's, uh, if you don't, especially if you don't know it, I guess, but it's definitely yeah, a place that presents problems. water. Yeah. Yeah, some big, big, yeah. big water. Yeah, but if you time it right, and, and the, as you've seen Bill do, or and there's a new show coming out, he, he went out this past year, 
he stayed at Ray Rivard's place, uh, Quebec Lodge, yeah. and he uh, went out with Don Ellis. And it's a fantastic show, man. He kind of whack a big brook trout, and they got other species too. Oh man! I think they got steelhead and salmon. Oh wow! In yeah. August. Jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, check that out for sure. Um, talking a little bit actually about the Sutton River, just to get kind of specific on that one, because I know it's a like you said, it's booked out for years. It's a huge river of interest. Um, can you describe the Sutton a little bit? Like, was it a deep river? Was it just brookies that were in there? Um, what kind of river is the Sutton? Well, it starts up at the lake, right? Yeah. And it winds down. And why, why it's so popular, there are other rivers that have got brook trout in northern Ontario that run into the Hudson or the James Bay. The yeah. problem is most of them have got some serious white water. Okay. Uh, that river has no white water. Okay. Gotcha. It, it is safe and calm and flat. And it has riffles here and there, but it's for... People going down in a freighter canoe, is, which is what they put you in, mm-hmm. it is such a safe river, and basically the brook trout are everywhere. Every elbow, every riffle, every overhanging tree. <laughs> They'll be in one f- foot of water to, you know, a deep hole to eight or nine feet, yeah. but there's not many of those. It's, they're just everywhere. Jesus. Um, they're not the big, fat ones. If you go in the lake up above, which we did fish, we caught some big thick ones, yeah. which are lake-dwelling ones, but in the river, they tend to be long and thin, but exceptionally strong. Okay. And then, I never fished all the way down, but friends who've done it told me that you you get two varieties of fish. You get the ones that live, that are native in the river, then as you get down towards the, um, the lower 15 miles, I believe, you get more and more of the sea runs. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. That's crazy. Those fish are, those fish are, and they have shoulders on them too, eh? Cause they're just constantly fighting decent current in that river, right? Yeah, they're very strong. So you're, you know, I was using a five or six weight, but what a place where you just throw mice all day. I mean, if you want to, and there wasn't any hatches going, I was there last week of August. It snowed one night when I was there. Oh, no way. So well, it was the end, it was the end of the season. Yeah. Right. But if you can go, you know, earlier, like if you were to go at the end of July, early August, I mean, you'd probably catch some of the hatches and get some good dry fly action. But oh. that being said, it's something to see an 18 or 19 inch, you know, brook trout come up and crush a, a mouse pattern. Oh God. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. That would be intense. It's so yeah. crazy. So crazy. And I wish I had the technology I do today to shoot 240 frames per second at 4k <laughs> oh, I know. to get those mice. <laughs> yeah. Some really cool yeah. footage. But that is a special place. But there are some other rivers, and I will tell you, we did a show that it just went on YouTube at Ritchie Falls Resort. If you want to tell people a place to go, it's yeah. a drive to. It's 50, 50 miles north of Massey on a gravel road and the rivers and lakes surrounding that place. There's nothing there. They're right next to a, a small provincial park. All the rivers are full of brook trout. Oh, man. And Bill and I got 18 and 20 inches. Jeez. That's so shall we, yeah, shall shall we, we keep go? that <laughs> segment in? Or <laughs> Yeah, you know. I, I, no, it's, you can keep it in. What we did is we stayed at the resort. They have mm-hmm. cabins there you can rent. Yeah. Uh, they, I think that you can – we did meals, but you don't have to. A lot of people do it yourself. But the place is more well-known by hunters than it is anglers. So they have lake trout, they have the main lake, um, I'm sorry, I forget the name of it, because it's a damned lake, and it's native run, 
but the main lake has got lake trout, it's got brook trout, they're hard to find, and it's mm-hmm. got smallmouth bass. Okay. And we got some of the lake trout in that, but then we went for the brook trout. Unfortunately, we had really high water, but I hooked a few, lost them all before I could get them in, but there's so many. They've got, the best way to describe it, they've got big rivers to medium rivers to small creeks, and they're all full of brook trout. That Sounds plus amazing. all the lakes. And what you do, what they did for us is they took us in by ATVs to some of the places or in other places they got boats that are placed there or you just bring your own canoe and you can go down some of these places and fish. Phenomenal fishing. All wild brook trout. Oh, man. It's so much water to explore. So, so it's so amazing about yeah, Northern Ontario. Yeah, and there's no, there's no, I mean, exactly. Timmins is an hour and a half away. Wow, geez. That's the closest town. So it's really in the middle of nowhere. No, nowhere Ontario. Yeah, if you look, and I put it even in the YouTube video that I put there, because um, that's why I called it Accessible Brook Trout, because I get asked a lot, a lot of Americans especially, say to me, where can we go in Ontario, but I don't, I don't want to fly. A lot, a lot of people don't like getting in float planes. Where can I get brook trout? This is one of those places. They've got, like, it's like Tomogamy. There's some mm-hmm. good waters in Tomogamy uh, where you're going to catch 8-inch to maybe 16-inch brook trout in the rivers. Um, in fact, I did one on Lady Evelyn Lake years ago. Yeah. I'm going to put it up again uh, soon. And I went on one of the back lakes there, and I got a six-and-a-half-pound book trip. Jeez. Oh, wow. They're there. That's yeah. a big fish, Four, there. Four hours and, and, from Toronto. just exploring. I don't know you guys. That's what I love about book trip fishing yeah. is going down those small rivers and small creeks and exploring because yeah. you just don't know what you're going to find. Totally. Mm-hmm. There, and most of the time, it's like, the, the best brook trout fishing is so tucked away, you know, you have to get to it and it's the places people don't really, people can't really get to or don't, don't get to, right? It's like the, the, the more inaccessible it is, sometimes the better the brook trout fishing, especially if you're in eastern Ontario, I know that much. Yeah, and you know the old rule of thumb, 200 yards from the bridge, that tends to be where people go. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. you're willing to walk, and the, there's another equation I always use. If the the worse the black flies are, the better the brook trout fishing is. That's what I've heard. It's true. I've heard that as yeah. well. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah, totally. Well, it tends to be boggy water, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have cold. That means there's usually springs there. It's colder water. But that's where the brook trout are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So we yeah. walked up some creeks, and you know, I was cutting 8, 10, 12, 14-inch brook trout on a three-year ride. Oh, you! I can do that all day. I love doing that oh, with yeah. dry flies. So fun! Oh my God, the trico oh, hatch I down. I can do that all day. The trico hatch down yeah. southern Ontario is, presents us with that opportunity, and it's so fun to just go and, you know, light yeah. gear and catch tons of brookies. Oh, totally, beautiful fish. Um, well, the beauty of the place I just mentioned, if I yeah. could just add to it, it's yeah. all crown land. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. oh that's interesting. Nice. So you can camp and stuff like that, or. They have some campgrounds. Uh, I don't know where they are, but you could check on them, but I know they're around. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they have space, actually, at the resort if you want to bring your own tents and, you know, just rent a space. Oh, that's cool. Then you have oh, nice. access to bathrooms and stuff and water. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, amazing. That's great. Yeah. Oh, so it's it not a very really well-known fun. place. It's, it's, it just got totally, they spent millions of dollars refurbishing. It was an old, it was a logging camp. Okay. Oh, that's wow. how it started in the early 1900s. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, Elk Lake too. Elk Lake, we go up to Elk Lake Wilderness Resort every year um, to fish with Roger and Mary, and their their place was a, like a mining camp. Basically, miners would stay there with the people that owned it before them. I think that's probably the case for a lot of Northern Ontario, eh? Logging and mining places. 
Yeah. Very true. Very true. We'll put. Uh, we'll it's just again trying to find those places where you've got access. Yeah. You've got crown land. You're not worried about private property, which is something you have sometimes an issue with in southern Ontario because yeah. of you know the lands are owned and yeah. it's trying to get down into where the brook trout may be. And it's a reasonable drive to get there. I mean, it's seven or eight hours for you guys from Toronto. I think seven hours to get yeah. to this place. But man, it's every creek's got brook trout. Well, we'll put a link to the uh, to that place in the show notes so people can check it out for sure. Because. Uh... Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a... And, and I just want to say, I'm not doing a hard sell, it's just I get asked a lot. Yeah, totally. And there are other places west of there that I know of, and there's actually a lot of good waters around Mattawa yeah. uh, mm-hmm. outside of Algonquin Park. Yeah. In fact, we're doing a show with a guide who is guiding in that area out of Pembroke. Oh, really? Whereabouts are you going to... Yeah. What river or lake are you fishing, or is it streams? I've been told I can't say because I'll be killed. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. Okay. Mattawa region's so but, fair enough. But I will say this. Yeah. If you're interested, I can hook you up with the guide who's going to take me out after we go into it. And what he does is drift trips for brook trout, and he does drift trips for smallmouth. Okay. 100%. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Mattawa's such a beautiful region. I don't you. I love, you know, and the type of drift trips he's talking about is where you drift from one spot to another, get out, and you walk and wait in fish areas. Then you yes. get in the, the boat again, and you go oh, to the yeah. next spot. I that's, love that's doing good. that. It's like the Bow River, yeah. you know, where you're fishing against the bank and throwing streamers and dry flies, and then you get out, and you walk and wait a riffle. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, I love that. it's always nice to have a mix of that, right? And you get, Getting to stretch your legs and really work a piece of water and sort of flying over it. Yeah. It's a nice yeah. balance. We're going to yeah, make exactly. a special effort this season to do more trout shows. We, we started last year and we're going to try and do it again this year. And nice. cause there's just so much interest in brook trout, rainbow trout, brown trout, yep. all the trout species. Um, and we'll still do the warm water species and things like that, but trying to strike a balance. And there's so many people looking for affordable, accessible, uh, trout fishing. So that's what we're going to try and do this year. Wicked. Looking forward to that for sure. Cause I mean, yeah, like you say all over Northern Ontario, there's so many great trout fishing places to go to, but, um, that's going to be cool. What about some... Well, the Sutton's a great place, but it's yeah. a three-hour float plane trip. Yeah, exactly. It's a decent <laughs> haul up there. <laughs> Ten-hour drive from Toronto to Hearst as well. It's, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it because uh, Mitch and I switched halfway. I got to sleep. He got to drive. Aldo had to drive the whole way, so yeah. I didn't mind it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you bring up a good point because it's so... Um, inefficient for us to, to get in planes and fly to parts of northern Ontario. We always drive, and at any one time, we'll have two crews. I have two Suburbans. The yeah, one yeah. Suburban's got 440,000 kilometers on it, thanks to all those <laughs> trips to northern Ontario. Oh, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, when we saw you in Timmins last, you drove you drove up there eh, for, the, for the festival there. It's the easiest way, because if you figure out how much you know, time you spend at airports trying to get up there, yeah. it's just easier. Oh, it's such a nice drive. And then it also gives us the luxury of doing what we were talking about before. If I've got a problem and we need to stay a few extra days, true. we stay a few extra days. That's yep, true. That's true. That makes a ton of sense. So when you're not um, doing the show, Colin, where, what are you going to be, like, what are you looking forward to fishing for and whereabouts? Because you're, you're in the auto region. When you're not doing the show, how do you spend your time on the water? What are you, what are you looking forward to most? Um, I fish around here, around Ottawa. Uh, obviously, it, there are brown trout waters uh, outside of Ottawa, and there's small, and there are some brook trout waters, small creek waters, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly it's smallmouth bass. 
uh, and musky. I'm a fanatical musky guy. I'm still learning. I've been humbled more times than I can say. Mm. Uh, and my biggest musky on the Ottawa is 51 inches so far. Jeez, that's a big musky. It's a big musky. Anderson, yeah. But yeah, that's what I do. Is I go to my local rivers, uh, the Jock, uh, the, the Mississippi. They're close to where I live, and I just go over and walk and wade, and you know. I love the Jock, man. And I can't say what which one I got, but I got a 25 inch small one from one of them once. Oh, nice, man. I mean, that's the thing about I. Yeah, probably I. I know the Mississippi and the Jock. I that's where I grew up fly fishing, and those rivers are awesome. Um, but you got to work for them too. I mean, people, you can't just go down there and. And catch fish, but if you nope. know the spots, man, it's those rivers are so awesome. I want to try to fish them in the summer. Yeah, you're right. You got you got to work them. And yeah. there's many times I go out and I cast all night and I'm catching rock bass and bluegills and that's yeah, it. Exactly. But that's just the way. But I've also been there when a hex hatch has come off and the river comes alive. Oh God, I can imagine. I've that must be amazing. And you, yeah, and you don't realize how many big smallmouth there is in that river. Yeah. Oh God, I know. Because nobody's fishing for them too, which is great. I mean, like I said, you got to work for it. So it's like, yeah, uh, those are really cool. Each auto region's cool fishery for sure. Um, so, I, but I, yeah, can I just add something here because I realize I said something. And somebody's going to press the uh, BS uh, alarm here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did catch a twenty-five inch smallmouth. I had two friends with me at the time. Yeah. But it's a river smallmouth, so it wasn't right. a, a huge giant fish. Right. It was probably four and a half pounds it's the biggest one i've caught around here it's a big fish because, but they fight current all the time it's an old fish and they're very long and thin yeah it's a bit it's the longest one the biggest one i've ever caught was up in algoma yeah. and that was a buffalo and it was only 21 and a half to 22 inches so it was seven pounds oh my god seven pounds oh my god. what the that's shit a, that's a huge <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that buffalo i'm gonna use that from now on yeah <laughs> well that <laughs> buffalo actually i i hooked another one right after it was well over eight god uh, and i lost god. it on camera and then i've seen the biggest one i've seen in this area around algoma which is just to the east of algoma i call it trophy alley yeah and it's a whole bunch of little resorts and you fish the lakes around there because they eat smelt that's why they're so big oh my god uh, biggest one i've seen is nine and a quarter holy crap that's a massive fish, man. Yeah, on a six-weight rod. That's pretty much sex for your arm. Yeah, I can imagine. Biting a fish like that. Algoma. Algoma is a very interesting region as well, eh? Yeah, it's a region I've, we haven't got to explore yet, but yeah. would love to. One, yeah. that I, one that you guys put on the map at the new fly fisher. I was like, what's Algoma? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we, I guess we have, and I think it's, it's been very positive because uh, a lot of Americans now know where Algoma is. I get people from California going there and uh, from Kentucky because the smallmouth bass fishing is so good. There's good pike fishing and there's very good brook trout fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a nice region for sure. But you're right. It's not well known. It no. wasn't certainly 10 years ago. I think that was one of the coolest things about your show was, you know, I used to work at Green Drake in Ottawa and, you flip through those magazines and it's all people from Montana and it was awesome when the new fly fisher came out because you were in Algoma or you were in Ottawa or, and it was like, Oh, these guys are doing it where I fish. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that was awesome. That was, that's, that was one big takeaway from what the new fly fisher was doing for me. I was like, Oh, people do fly fish up here. Yeah. There's a lot more fly fishers uh, in Ontario than people think. Yeah. No, absolutely. And we're starting to see that for sure. Um, okay. We got five questions, Colin, that we, we, uh, end every show with, 
Um, you take, okay. take your time, answer them. That's not like a buzzer beater thing, but five of the same questions we ask every guest. So um, I'm going to ask those now. Um, so the first question is what is, and I know earlier you said, uh, I can't answer the question about what my favorite fish is. There's, it's impossible, but, uh, here we are. What is your favorite <laughs> fish and why? <laughs> That's the first question of Mitchie's Fishies five. Oh, easily Atlantic salmon. Yeah. Atlantic salmon. Why about, why is Atlantic why? salmon? Because they jump, they fight so hard yeah. and I, they can be so difficult to catch. Yeah. Yep. I've sat there, climbed a fished a pool, thought there's no fish, climbed up a rock, looked down, and counted 70 salmon. Oh, man. Yeah. They can humble you real fast. Yeah, I can imagine that's like a, that, that's a great fishing experience, right, when you're... They're a beautiful fish. I, I would love to catch one. I know Aldo did a trip to the Gasp last year with Drift, and uh, they caught a bunch of... They caught a few, a couple Atlantics, eh, Aldo? Well, yeah, I was uh, kind of had the same curse as you, Colin. We were fishing the Bonaventure, and my first Atlantic salmon trip, I landed three, and I'm like, oh, well, it's easy, even though I know it's not. Because we had those, we had the we had that situation where, exactly like you described it, we were we were we were casting over a pool, um, and then I, I was like, there has to be fish in here, and then I clambered over to the other side of the of the river and looked down from some rocks, and yeah, I think I counted like forty fish, and we had spent the whole morning going over forty fish without anything. <laughs> Crazy. It's it's an, it's How insane. It works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that can be in a remote river in Labrador. It, it's everywhere. Yeah, jeez. So if you yeah. can figure it out, what what the fly is, the presentation, and the trigger, how to agitate them into coming up from yes. the bottom to eat. Yeah, yes. that's that's my big thrill with them. And then when you hook them, they just go. Oh, it's insane! Right They're so strong. Rod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I even caught I, I even caught a grills, and it was like it went berserk. I think it was like a little three four pound fish. And it was insane. <laughs> Jeez. It's amazing. Um, okay, number two, Mitchie's Fishies 5. If you could fish anywhere in the world right now, um, let's assume it's the best time to go, where would you go and why? Oh, easy. Chilean Patagonia. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's a great <laughs> answer. Why would you go there? I've been there twice. I'm going again this January. I absolutely love that place. Yeah, how was the trip like when you went? Uh, you've been there twice. What was the first time you went? Like, what was your first impression of the of the landscape and the rivers? It's, well, it's kind of like a combination of prairies meets desert meets Rocky Mountains. Okay. So the landscape is just breathtaking, and mm. the topwater fishing for rainbow and brown trout is second to none. It's I heard. as good as I've ever had anywhere. And I'm a small stream fanatic, and they have miles and miles and miles of rivers or small streams, excuse me, where yeah. you can walk and wade and you're catching brown trout to 22 inches. Jeez. Amazing. Did you yeah. find that? I'd say the average fish I catch is 18, 17, 18 inches. Jeez. That's all on decent, hoppers. Man. All on hoppers. But you got to use stealth. It's not easy. You work for those fish. Yeah. <laughs> How was the, but it's the, just wonderful. What were the challenges? Like the first time you fished, like, did you click in right away or was it just a matter, like it'd take a few days to get into it or? Well, very good question, um, because I'll give you an example. Uh, the first time I went, I had some challenges, and I had to get my casting up to speed, uh, even though I thought I was a reasonable caster. I don't, like, Bill's a much better caster than I am. Um, but it was more, I had to get, I had to deal with the wind, and yeah. my accuracy had to get better, and I had to get better with a curve cast and a whole bunch of different things, my, my wiggle cast and, 
and my reach cast, all those little things. I thought I was proficient and I wasn't up to speed. And then the other part of it is I brought two friends there two years later to fish where I'd gone. I did a show there, which is in our YouTube channel. The first time I went, one's on lake fishing for the, the trout and the other one's on the rivers and small streams. Yeah. When I went there two years later and brought my friends, first five days, they were really having trouble fishing. And I had to sit them down because they were making all the atypical mistakes, you know, they're, which you have to be in your A game. These are wild fish and they don't get big without being really smart and, and, and knowing certain things. And I'll give you an example, casting to cliffs where the water's pounding and you're in a drift boat and you're bouncing up and down and the, and the hoppers, the, the trout are right against the cliffs. I mean, with, you have got to put your fly six inches off the, the cliffs. Right. Usually I bounce them against the rocks. They come up and eat, but they eat so fast that, you know, the guys were casting, but they weren't dropping the rod tip right away and taking the slack out uh-huh. and they would get an eat and set the hook and it was gone. It? Yeah. And these are 24 inch browns. God. That's so amazing. you got to be on your game. Yeah. So that's what I like about it. You have, it's, it, there's lots of fish. It's beautiful. There's no bugs. It's very windy. It's very challenging. But if you get your game together, it's so rewarding. So a good, a good kind of uh, piece of advice is if people are going to go down there, get some practice in the park in before they go kind of thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I really got humbled. Yeah. And especially small stream fishing with a four weight yeah. and you've got, you know, 50 mile an hour winds, 40 mile an hour winds. Yeah. And by the way, that's mm. the best time to fish on those small streams because the winds hide your presence. Right. There's so much noise from all the grass and everything and the waves on the water. Yeah. You can get right up fairly close, but you've got to make an accurate cast because, you you know, there's one big brown in that corner pool. Yeah. And if you want to get them to come up and eat, you got to put that cast right and not hook the, 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 the grass and spook them or splash or anything like that. Yeah. So I don't know you. Everyone's different, but that's what I really enjoy. Oh man, yeah, that sounds super fun. I would love to. We definitely want to get down to Patagonia at some point. It just looks like such an amazing place to to fish. Obviously. <laughs> well, I hope you do. It's it's a fantasy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so number three, and I'm sure there's a lot of these, but um, what is your best or favorite fishing memory from over the years? Fishing with my kids. Oh, nice. It's a great answer. When did your kids get into fishing? Like, was it like Right when they were kids, you're like, uh, at the water kind of thing? Yeah, I, I used to take them when they were like four or five. Yeah. Um, take them over and, you know, it, to do it with kids. This is my opinion, but, yeah. you know, you do a little fishing. You, you don't try and catch pike. You try and catch perch and yeah. rock bass and barbless hooks, of course, because yeah. you know they're going to probably stick you uh, somewhere. Yeah. And, and you spend <laughs> a lot of time when the fishing does slow down looking for crayfish, looking at bugs, talking about stuff, and you make it a little expedition and bring a lunch and everything and then i took them for ice cream afterwards and then it was a special daddy time when i would take them fishing yeah that's a great great way to do it make it a whole like adventure day i mean that's really what fishing's all about right it's not just about catching fish Mm -hmm. which is a little side note people see my daughter now who's 23 Mm -hmm. in the show and they ask me what where's your son he's 20 doesn't he fish he never got the bug oh yeah i never forced him yeah (laughs) So, you know, he still enjoys going maybe and doing things with me, and we like to go play hockey, go play play basketball and stuff like that, but yeah. he was never the angler. My daughter was. That's right. the way it worked out. That's awesome. yeah. so I'm just Absolutely. as happy to go fishing with her as I am 
uh, with doing something else with my son. Yeah. So I never forced my kids to fish if they wanted to go fishing. And by the time my son was about 12 or 13, I said, Dad, I'd rather do something else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's yeah, great. well, it's, it's a very similar story, if I may. Yeah, with my dad and my sister, we were we were brought into basketball the same way. My sister took to basketball, and I took to drawing and painting. Just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. That's how it goes. That's cool. You're, that's awesome. Your daughter got into it, though. She's yeah. I've seen some of the fish she's been catching. Big pike, and she travels. You guys go on trips together too, eh? Uh, yeah, we do. And in fact, this weekend uh, there's going to be on YouTube. It's airing tonight on Sportsman's Channel here in Canada. She went. She had the pleasure of going to Cree River Lodge on the edge of the boreal forest in northern Saskatchewan, and she was catching thirty pound pike. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and that. So her biggest one, I think, was 46 or 47, and the guide was upset because they had a 53 the week before. Oh, man. 53. On a fly. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy, man. That's insane. They've caught them to 58 there. Good Lord. Whoa. That's a big bike, man. 58 inches. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. No. That's amazing. I'd love to. I'd love to get you 58. I'd probably freak out or something. I don't even know. Take the boat. Freak out. <laughs> Um, that's awesome. That's and you said that's going to be, that show's going to be out today, you said? Uh, well, it's on Sportsman's Channel here in Canada tonight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, um, uh, to do a plug for Sportsman's Channel Canada, they just made their subscription because of COVID. They've made it free. Oh, wait. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So Amazing. if you people go and subscribe to them right now uh, through their local provider, Bell or whoever, yeah. it's free mm-hmm. till the end Done. of May. Wicked, okay. Yeah, we'll check that out. So you can watch the show there, or you can see it on YouTube. It'll be airing tomorrow, or premiering tomorrow on our YouTube channel at 9 o'clock when Jenna goes to Cree River. And the guide she's out with is a fly fisherman, too. In fact, he invented one of the best pike flies out there called Northern Magic. Oh, no way. Oh, nice. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Just looking up the fly. That's wicked. I'll put the, uh, the YouTube link, too, in the show notes. People can check that out. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, okay, cool. So number four. So this one is um, a little bit broader, I guess. And we might have talked a little bit about it earlier, but it's why do you fly fish? Why why do you go out and fly fish? What do you get out of it? I think it goes back to that earlier piece I told you. It's serenity. It's peace of mind. It's I, I go out fly fishing and cast, and I don't have to catch fish yeah. and still have a great time. Yeah, I mean, peace of mind. I just, everyone's different. I mean, some people have to catch fish. I, I just, there's something about the rhythmic motion of, of casting a fly and, and that line and, and just being in nature. Yeah. It's, it's church to me. That's it's great. very spiritual. It's a great answer. Yeah, there's definitely something, uh, something just to the whole sport that, I know it's a great way to be outside, that's for sure, 100%. Number five. And the last in the Mitchie's Fishies Five, and all of our favorite question every time, um, what fly pattern represents you best and why? So if you were a fly, what would you be? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I just looked up wow. uh, Northern Magic, too. What a cool-looking fly. Would you be a Northern Magic fly? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, not too black. Too dark. I'm a very bright, optimistic kind of guy. Yeah. I'd call me a Green Highlander. Oh, nice. Oh, awesome nice. One. Awesome fly. What, yeah, what is I love it? that fly. A lot of people ask me about the pattern we use in our logo. 
and I will give the credit to Bill Spicer, who came up with the colors for the fly, because he ties classic flies, and that fly does not have a name, but it's basically just an amalgamation of different colors to make it stick out. But if I had to pick a fly that represented who I am, it would be the Green Highlander, because I just, to me, it represents nature, it represents brightness, colors, and it's a fly that works so well for Atlantic salmon. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome answer. I love the green Highlander and also the fly in your logo too. It's uh, it's great. That's cool. You brought that up. Cause uh, yeah, I think it's like one of those things I see now and I'm just like, Oh, new fly fisher fly. That's, that's, that, that's it there. It's awesome. Well, if I could add to that, just, it's so great to have it that I get so many people, like I can't even tell you how many people yeah. email us or send us messages and thank us because we help them get into fly fishing and help them to learn some basics and, and to search out more knowledge. Yeah. Like, and that, like we make the Overs Guide to Fly Fishing, which is kind of our show only on steroids in terms of educational with Tom. Yeah. But it, it just so much, we feel so much gratitude, both Bill and I and Mark and everybody involved in the show, that we're hel- helping so many people get into fly fishing, yeah. whether they do it for the rest of their life or they just do it once in a while. But we just enjoy what we do. Um, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, you must love the fishing trips. And oh, of course we do, but it's more than that. It, it means so much to us when we go to a trade show, and I'm down there in Somerset, New, uh, New Jersey, or I'm in the Toronto Sportsman Show, and somebody comes up to me, and I want to thank you for making your show. I wish, I wish somebody did that for bass fishing, made a yeah. show like you that yeah. teaches people the ABCs of bass fishing because nobody does. Everyone just assumes I know how to use a Senko. Yeah. That means a lot to us. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's great to get that kind of feedback. I guess like, um, well, and that's it for Mitchie's Fishies 5. I mean, that's also like kind of a great way to kind of wrap the show. I mean, is there anything you want to leave viewers with? I mean, 20 years on, um, the new fly fishers going strong. Like, I mean, you've kind of said like, it's awesome to hear feedback from the community, but um, yeah, is there anything you want to leave with people? Any parting words? Yeah, good good question. Um, I guess the big thing is we always seek feedback. You know, I, I can't profess to know everything people want. I mean, the number one complaint I used to get from people was, why don't you do fly tying in your show? And the basic problem we have is space, because when you're on a television broadcast or a commercial broadcaster like the World Fishing Network or Sportsman yeah. Channel, you have 24 minutes yeah. to put all that information into yeah. with the commercial mm-hmm. breaks. So it's really difficult to do. But, I, you know, people want... I encourage people, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. Both Mark and I pay attention, mm-hmm. and we try to do things. I mean, it's, there's so many things that we get criticized about, which, you know, don't get me wrong, criticism can be good. I mean, there's some people that just criticize about everything. But, yeah. you know, constructive criticism, I want that. So mm-hmm. if there's one thing I would leave people with, give me your feedback. Tell me what you want to see more of. Tell me what you don't want to see. Yeah. Tell me how can we improve the show so it, make it makes it more enjoyable for you and everyone else. Yeah, that's great. I think that's awesome that uh, yeah, yeah people can feel free to reach out. And it is, a, it is a great show for that reason. It feels like such a community show. And you guys have been around, like you said, 20 years. And you're still, uh, you're still putting out great content. So, um, yeah, I mean, thanks for talking to us today too, Colin. It was, uh, it was awesome to get to the chance to catch up after seeing you and Timmons uh, in the summer. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. We can't thank you enough. Yeah, Colin. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for making your show because you're helping a lot of people to uh, learn a lot. And 
understand places to go and, 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 you know, all the different things you do. So we're both lucky because we get to share. Yeah. And I appreciate very much. And it was an honor for me to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much. That's so, so nice. That's so, so nice. nice. Thank you. Wait, 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 wait. Colin, I, think, I, think, I, I, I actually never thanked you, man, because we actually had one-on-one casting lesson with you, casting some big pipe flies when I saw you and Timmons. So I never said thank you, but yeah, it helped a lot. And I'm trying to, I'm actually stopping or trying to stop crossing my body uh, to help that fly just stay on that same plane because it's so heavy. So appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> no problem. It's all practice. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's all practice. That's for sure. Yeah. Tom Rosenbauer was just up here, and he was speaking to my local fly fishing club, yep. and he told them that he goes and practices his casts every month. You have to. Yeah. You have you know, to, yeah. And he, he had no, he said, I go to Pete Kutzer and say, Pete, can we go have a couple hours in the back lawn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to practice, just like a good golfer, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly so that. So when you're in those tough situations, you can make the most of it, like Patagonia casting against those those rock cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> True. Or remember I was saying just going over to the, the Jock River and standing in the water and casting? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm practicing my swing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely a good piece of advice. Colin, well, thanks. Thank you, gentlemen. It's thanks been so a real much. pleasure. Yeah, it's been awesome talking to you today. And uh, stay safe out there, and uh, hopefully you can hit the water soon. Well, my, uh, my hope is that we can get together on the water sometime and we can do a show together. Oh, oh I'd love awesome. that. That'd be fun. I'd love that. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it again soon. Sounds good. Okay, All thanks, right, Colin. Colin. Take care. Take care. Take, Take care. care. Well, that was Colin McEwen from the New Fly Fisher. That was an awesome call. That was yeah, an awesome was call. Great. I love talking yeah. to Colin. He's, uh, he's a wealth of information. 20 years the show's been on the air. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. Awesome. It was pretty awesome when we saw him in Timmins in the dining room. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Colin McEwen. And then, <laughs> and then we ended up spending the whole weekend with him. It was so so much fun. It was so fun. We were yeah, just, yeah it we was had, a lot of fun. Drinking rum and Lots cokes of- and talking about uh, fly fishing trips and stuff like that. It's fun. And just uh, yeah, like just the state of fly fishing yeah. in Ontario and fly fishing media. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool pretty to be cool. able to talk to you talk about fly fishing shows and stuff like like I said, we grew up watching these things and you know. Um, like you said, Aldo, uh, seeing how there's fly fishing in the auto region that's represented in Ottawa is so important for us to get into the sport. It was amazing, right? Like, I mean, here I am working in a fly shop, and, like, the only thing I can see is people from Montana or the Florida Keys, and then all of a sudden I turn on my TV, and there's a guy fishing, <laughs> you know, in the Ottawa region or, or in the Toronto region or northern Ontario and then on Outdoor Life, and yep. I'm like, oh, sh- what? I know. <laughs> yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's like... Oddly validating or yeah. something. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, it's a yeah. super fun show. I'll, I'm going to put all the links and stuff like that in the show notes. People can check out their YouTube page and um, also how they their, their Instagram and everything. And Facebook too, because they said they're going to be ramping stuff up while the whole country seems to be in isolation. They're going to be putting more content up, which is great. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that stuff in the show notes. And uh, I don't know. Thanks everybody for listening again. And we hope that uh, we hope that. You guys uh, are doing good out there. And again, like I said, we're all in isolation, so we're not on our usual mic setup. But um, we hope that you enjoyed the show and and you check out the next one. It's going to be coming out soon. And uh, also just a side thing, check out our YouTube page. We're updating our YouTube page and we're going to be making uh, some maybe some live videos and stuff like that while we're all in isolation. So having a little bit of fun on YouTube, Um, just some more stuff to put out there. People can check out and um, also just stuff to keep us sane. And connected while we're <laughs> trapped inside of our apartments with our cats and a, and Yilma's all alone over there, probably on his phone, eh, Yilma? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Follow Yilma on his phone. Uh, anyways, thanks so much on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And uh, that's it for me, Mitch, Aldo. Uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, thanks, Colin. And uh, stay safe, guys. Yilma. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Take care. You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesoflycrew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. 